And it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 45, recorded on a wonderful Friday, June 10th, 2011. Today we're going to do a little fireside chat about some interesting stuff related to sub-searches and deployment server. We'll figure out what the title is later. Let's do some Splunk Talk. I gotta have more cowbell. Good morning, Maverick. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. You know, um, I gotta say, I thought it was kind of weird that it was like, I saw photos, uh, you know, usually there's some sort of food talk or how hot is it in Texas, the beginning of the podcast. But I saw people sending photos on Facebook last week of like on the East Coast, it was 107, 108. Yeah, it was like 95 degrees. Yeah. One one day. How do you know that? Uh, I don't know. I think I was out there this week. Did we we talk about this last week where you were going to be? No, no, actually, it was, we did not. But um, but yeah, I was out there and out of New York. sure we didn't talk about Neil Pert? I don't think so. We were. I, we in, I was in Manhattan, and it was 95. It actually broke records for this time of year out there for being hottest. And and I felt at home because you know I'm from Texas. Yeah, right, dude. I'm like I brought it with me. You know. Did you take like, the subway at all? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, it's pretty nasty. Like I like the subway because it's really efficient, but it's kind of stanky in the summer. You know what I mean? No, I like. I walked like 15 miles a day just around like the same block trying to find Bloomingdale's. You know. Right. Usually one would want to avoid Bloomingdale's, you know. Correct. But um, so, so listeners, Maverick went to David Letterman last week. And who did Maverick see on David Letterman? I got to see uh, Neil Peart do his drum solo. And who is Neil uh, Peart? For, Neil Peart, he's the legendary rock drummer for the band called Rush. Yes. And so it was pretty cool. A lot um, of nerds are Rush fans, though, I got to say. Yeah, so a little trivia here. So during the taping, he actually dropped his stick twice uh, in a row. And um, uh, he I guess he was so embarrassed to hey, retape some of it. So if anybody saw it last night on the actual uh, airing, which it aired last night on June 9th, Thursday, June 9th, um, they they uh, edited in, I think, uh, the, par- the first part of his solo. As some of you know, he has very distinct uh, pieces to a solo. And um, they edited that part in. And uh, how do you edit a Neil Pert solo, though? Well, I mean, he's like, so but hey, it's it. easy, he's so perfect that they were oh, able to just right. like time it in there, you know. But it was just interesting because those of us that were there live know know that they did that because he he dropped a stick. He never does that. But I guess he was so nervous about being on the show, his hands are probably sweaty or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would have. I'm. I edit. Exactly. I would have said. Uh, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Whose chair is that? It's not my chair. It's not my chair. All right. Um, it was very let's hot. Do, that's awesome. I've seen Rush a couple of times, but never up close. All right, Maverick. You feel like doing a little bit of chat today? The show we were talking, and maybe we should start out with uh, what you were. What, it was very interesting what you were talking about uh, the sub search thing you were doing this week. Uh, maybe we can start with that because I thought it was kind of interesting how you got into that and trying to figure that out. We've kind of talked similar about sub searching and kind of this particular topic you're going to say, but I think there's some some uh, extra things here that we could probably get some value out of here. 
Yeah, subsearch. I was thinking yes. about queuing up that. Wow, what does that mean? Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Wow, what does that mean? Yeah. Okay, so. So um, what were you doing? What were well, you, you doing? know what? I, well, the other thing I was thinking about when I was driving home this morning from p dropping off my kids, I'm like, you know, how in Splunk Talk, how do we get back to sort of the basics? Like, what if a brand new user walks into this thing, right? Like, and we're already down the advanced XML path. So, like, at some point in time, I don't know, maybe we should cover some basic questions. But um, sure, a little bit of a background for those who don't, you know, let's say you, you use Splunk for just like finding stuff, needle in a haystack. Sometimes that half of your needle is in one haystack and the other half is in another haystack, okay? Um, and so if you were to think about it, if you were going to look in one haystack, you'd find a needle. And the other one, well, you might need to look at it at the same time. As a matter of fact, you might need to look at, let's say, here's the metaphor. Follow me on this. Okay. I have a whole pile of haystacks, <laughs> okay. And I search in one of them. And once I find a needle in one of them, in that haystack, it's going to tell me which other haystacks also have needles. Wow. Okay. Wow. And yeah. that concept is what we call a subsearch. So, in you could programming languages, you can do things like this, like a for loop, right? Or a case statement or things like that, where you're going to go make a determination based on the results of something else. So, in here, here's some uh, a use case that I was working with. Um, on a uh, on an email this week, and uh, the use case was because we're going to talk about a bug and how to deal with it. Okay, because not everything cool. is a thousand percent perfect in Splunkland. Okay, it's software, right? Sure. So the use case was everybody clear your brain, turn off your okay. lawnmower. I need to find every user that has failed more than three times logging into Active Directory and has not gotten an account lockout message. Now... Oh, wait, 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 back up. So you're saying that, that if they fail three times, they should get a lockout correct. message? Correct. This person's policy said, well, it's oh. not that if you fail three times, if you fail three times from the same workstation. Oh, okay, okay. So it's even more. So it has to be at least from the same machine. So same workstation. If same you fail more than three times, by default in their Windows policy, your account gets locked out. And you should get a message for that. So you should get all four of those events, three fails and a lockout. Well, in that case, we, we're actually, we don't care about that because that okay. means the policy is being um, oh, followed, yes. right? So, so, and the user is so, going to get a lockout message and probably, you know, somebody's, they're yeah. going to call the help desk, right? Sure. Um, but what happens if somebody fails login three times and does not get a lockout message. That could be a bad thing. Could being subjective. Why, why is it why is it bad? How, because well let's say, for example Well, let's say for example I was able to uh, manipulate the policy for my user. Okay. Oh, okay. Right? So it could be a security. It's a security well it issue. is a security use case. Or, you know, sometimes I might have an application that is running and the application actually does, you know, runs as a service and it logs in mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's having a problem and well, whatever reason. So it could be intentional or unintentional, yeah, either yeah. one, but you just like, want to know about it because it's abnormal and it's again, not according to policy. Correct. And you think about it, one would hope to get zero results on searching like this, right? Correct. Just like if you search for credit card numbers in your logs, you would always hope to get zero results. Yeah, from a compliance perspective, you probably need that, that kind of control around it, but I would probably just want an alert on it to let me know when it happens. 
Yeah. Or, so in this or, case, or they, they wanted to create an alert. So th- yeah. they had some bounds, right? Some of the bounds were in a 10-minute period. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and to figure this out, we sort of had to look for... Um, we had to look for every user through the Windows event log. So we're looking at... I don't remember what the event code was. I think it was 575 or maybe it was 538. Um, the lockout one? Yeah, well, we had to find the failed logins, right? Oh, the failed okay. logins. Okay. So we basically had to use transaction to sort yeah. of count up the failed logins. Got it. Okay. Yeah. To figure out, uh, we'll do it by user ID in a 10-minute period. So we'll take all Wild's failed logins, count them up. And uh, also, now, if there's a user ID... Um, uh, if there's a user ID, mm-hmm. we'll link it together and we'll do transaction and then we'll find every user ID that doesn't have a, uh, uh, we'll find more than three times that doesn't have a uh, account lockout. Okay. Oh, but there's one more thing I forgot to tell you. I also need to see other activity like the firewall activity as well. Okay. Oh, okay. so therefore I'm going to need to figure out which particular users had this case. So in that case, the first thing I need to do is find out which users have failed login more than three times and didn't have an account lockout. Mm-hmm. I can do that by putting a bracket around that search, putting the word search in there. So I take my search, you know, whatever, look for that transaction. Like the whole thing. Right, the whole thing, put the word search in front of your actual search and then put square brackets around it. Oh, by the way, before the end of the other square bracket, I needed the IP addresses, not the fields, but the mm-hmm. actual IP addresses. So I didn't want, um, I didn't, the results, I didn't want it to say IP equals 10.1.2.3.4. Okay. I actually just wanted the IP address. So in that okay. case, we, we, we made a copy of a field called source network address and mm-hmm. we copied it as a field called search. Okay. This is something that most people don't know. So if I say yeah. eval search equals source network address, it's going to create a brand new field called search. Yeah. Now, if you use that within the subsearch, the subsearch is basically going to send the results back up to a higher level search. But what it will send is just the IP addresses. So I get a nice or statement without fields. Okay, wow. lovely. That's cool. Then the outer search... Is gonna do the your parent, that's a good way. The parent search is really gonna look through the firewall logs and maybe some Windows event logs. So it'll pull it all together, right? Lovely. The logic works. We hit go and Splunk goes. And uh, let's say we're doing this over the past 15 minutes where there's a, not a huge number of results. Hey, we get them back. Looks awesome. <laughs> But I said to this customer, I said, well, so how are you going to determine, how are you going to actually do this search? Sure. You know, it won't happen automatically. It's going, well, there might be a situation where there's automatically. And I said, by the way, you should probably just do the search in real time in a 10 minute window. But I said, "Um, what would drive you to do this search? And he said, well, you know, uh, I might get a request because, you know, I'm kind of like the second level security guy. Somebody's going to, make a request to say, you know, I need to figure this out. Yeah. So that means that they're going to need to look in a time range that's not known before the search is run. So they're actually going to go right wild long search out and then run to the time picker and select the date. So we did that. Okay. June 6th from 2 to 5 p.m. 
And guess how many search results there were? There were a um, there were a sh- ton of search results. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna say probably too many to count. There were a lot of search results. Okay, okay. which normally doesn't matter, right? You just do yeah. a search, yeah. results start streaming back to the UI, but big red box error comes up. We all love those big red errors, right? I get them on lookups sometimes, and sometimes people get them on expired licenses. But it basically says, you know, and I quote, um, timed out waiting for status to become available for this job. Well, when you do a sub search, what really happens is a higher level search is fired and a sub job or a sub search is fired. They're linked together in the back end job system. But the user interface is like, uh, I got nothing from the main search, so I'm just going to kind of forget about it. Which sucks. That's that sounds like a bug to me. But um, wait a minute. Maybe, no, I, maybe not. Well, yeah. I think it's a bug. Um, it is a bug. Anytime you get a red error when it's not expected and it's the system says timed out, it's a bug, right? It needs okay. to be fixed. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. But the job's running, isn't it? Sure, the job's got to be running. Sure. Yeah, right? I mean, because yeah, of course. Splunk dispatches a process to run the job. So I went... I'm, I go over to the job manager in the upper right-hand corner. If you've never clicked on the job manager or if you've never clicked inspect search, you should do that. That's for another show. But if you click on the job manager, you can see all the search jobs that have been ran. By the way, each search job has a time to live, which I think is 300 seconds, mm-hmm. which means in the past five minutes, any of the search results that actually ran, you can go get them without having to rerun the search. But in our case, we, could, we went over to jobs and clicked on it, and we saw our two searches running. We saw the one, the big one that had the whole friggin' search in it, and we saw another search called sub-search. It doesn't actually tell you what the sub-search is, but you can kind of see. We could see the progress of the sub-search. Sub-search was taking like five minutes. Whatever, that's how long it took, because there was a, as I said, uh, you know, a, uh, a ton. Bu- yeah, there was a bunch ton of, them. of Just say bunch. Results. Yeah. Just say bunch. So there was a bunch of search. There was a bunch of events, really. <laughs> right. So at, we're sitting there waiting, and I'm watching the search, sub-search finishes, yay! And I'm seeing the sub-search actually get results, because the job manager will tell you how many results it got. So you know it's not just some random search doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it, you, a, you can even click on it, too, Well, right? yeah, and then that's what we did. So then the sub-search finished, and then the parent search, which I like that, and not outer, but parent, although it is outer. I like saying parent. The parent search continued... And found all the activity. It did what it wanted to do. But wait a minute. It didn't go back and update the UI. So the UI is sort of in the hangout state. But like Maverick oh, said, okay. if you click on the search in the uh, job manager, it will return to you the nice flash timeline view, which normally people call the Splunk search UI, with your results there. Okay, So you can always get access to those. And sort of maybe the lesson is, well, one, there's a bug that I agree with. But two, the job manager is also probably more affected than you know because a lot of times people run the same searches all the time. And if they want to see ones that have recently ran, it's a good place to do it. So, oh, but it just took a while to figure that out because the the thing is what you need to do when you're doing a search in Splunk. Let's say you want to find something complicated, you got to break it down into small pieces to make sure you're right because sometimes zero results is what you want, right? Right. Well, in this case, that's true. Right. In this case, you want zero results. But sometimes you can get zero results if you wrote a search that is wrong. 
So you know you got it's fun. That's, very that's typically what. That's typically what. Why you don't get? Yeah, results typically you, you did, did something wrong. wrong you, you right? Typoed it, it's, yeah, you typoed something wrong. You switched some letters around in a very dyslexic-oriented way, and and it and you think you did it right, and uh, and it doesn't have anything with that particular word in it because you know the letters are backwards. But that's typically what it is. But in this case, this is the the other extreme of it being, um, you know, uh, the, the, I guess in this case, the GUI and what you're calling a bug. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily would call it a bug. I just think. It's, it's just unfortunate that um, that there's more data on the subsearch than on the outer search. I mean, would there be a way to tighten the subsearch? I mean, do you think oh, going sure. back well, in hindsight could have tightened up the subsearch to nope. be faster? No. No. I mean, we use fields and everything. I mean, we I optimize the search to, to the most that it could possibly be optimized, and um, you know, the only thing that might have helped is maybe like doing some sort of periodic summary indexing on that particular use case so that I just basically had statistics yeah. already developed. But that really wasn't an option here. And you know, sometimes you actually can't reduce the search results. Your search sometimes, if you're looking for what is called a very sparse search, in this case it was, yeah. it just takes a while, which is fine because... At least, at least we get the results. I mean, you know, and, and I think the cool thing that I like about the subsearching aspect of Splunk is that it is kind of decoupled from the parent search as far as technically when it gets executed. I think Correct. they all get executed on separate cores in parallel and things, which I think we've talked about before uh, as well. Um, and for so, so, but so some of you probably have already heard about that. And some of you that are new to the, to the podcast, um, that's how it actually works. So it's actually you get the advantage of the efficiency of that. But it sounds like in this case, you know, because it was a subsearch in nature, um, you, you know, it, it, I guess it can time out. and um, Yeah, the UI timed out. The cool the thing UI. was, like, the search was still running, and we were able to get the results. So now we at least, you know, the the particular person that was evaluating Splunk now has a um, at least a go-forward plan because sure. he or she can ultimately get the results. Uh, not the way Wild wants it done, which is perfectly in the UI. All, all, is, all at the same time. Right, yeah. but, yeah. you know, and, and I get... I'm sure it's just the way that it was designed inside the search API and the Python user interface, but it's something that needs to be fixed. I mean, even one of the original developers of that UI recognizes. We also, and also, what do you think I did? I got the message on, uh, I got the message on the user server and I was like, better look at answers for that. So I went to answers.splunk.com and then right. typed in the error and I found a little bit out. I didn't find a, Unfortunately, I didn't find the. I, you know what I'm gonna do after this, later. You're gonna you're gonna have to post it. No, or, I'm gonna go update. I'm gonna put some comments on that particular um, right, question. That particular yeah, because it's answered by Nick, but uh, which is one of the UI developers. Um, he's one of the original UI developers, but it's sort of like he's his response was like, "Well, can't the subsearch just be smaller?" Well, no, sometimes it can't, right? Sometimes it's... Yeah, sometimes you're... Right, so you know, it is stuck. a bug, but at least I think I'm going to mention out there that uh, you will not lose it. You just got to go and... Um, you just got to go and uh, retrieve it from the job manager, so... Um, that Very was... Cool. That's the sub-search thing we were talking about, and, you know, um, I do like the fact that I ended up getting there, you yeah, know? I, yeah, I'm glad you got there too, and I'm glad. I think you found some good insight there. And also, I was going to say you mentioned something earlier too about transaction, and I, you know, not necessarily we don't have to go into this right now, but I just want to make sure that for those that are new to that, that means a transaction command. You're piping to a transaction command in order right. to group 
the things together based on based on a field, the values of matching fields. Um, and so if you're not familiar with that, you should look up transact the word transaction on Splunk.com and documentation and you'll see how to use that uh, that command. It's really a very, very useful, very unique to Splunk and can be uh, can be your savior in some cases as far as uh, when you're trying to group um, events together in order to kind of see like what Michael was talking about. Yeah. Awesome. Now, I heard, I think you mentioned something like you were talking to somebody about deployment manager and some stuff that that oh, yeah, you yeah. had dealt with. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it, I didn't talk. It was actually through an email and the customer actually, um, uh, I think, figured out, uh, uh, or actually it was somebody evaluating, I think, um, uh, and they figured out what was wrong and then, and then it was like, wow. And so I learned to kind of learn something from them that wasn't so obvious. And I don't know if you could call this a bug. I guess it is kind of a bug, kind of in the same way yours is perceived as a bug maybe. So um, uh, it was, uh, they were trying to set up, they set up their deployment server uh, very, very successfully, I guess, in, in the sense that everything connected and they could have their deployment classes and they could push things out whatever to the to the forwarders i had forwarders that they were pushing things out to and um they started but they started getting a problem like like errors like red errors like you were getting saying um or actually in this case it was at the command line because they were pushing it out with the with the commands and they were getting errors like you know can install app uh unable to having trouble installing the app you know things of that nature two or three four of them in a row um and then and then the path <laughs> the the customer was uh noticing the path had slashes in some parts going the right way and then a few of them in between kind of around etsy and then maybe the word apps and maybe their app name the slashes were the other way you know so <laughs> going to the What's up with that yeah, exactly. And then, and then, uh, did they put it the, that but, way or did Splunk just sort of do that for them? Splunk, Splunk sort of appended the <laughs> Splunk home. Yeah, Splunk home. And then also the ending part, which was the default, you know, like the deployment, the package name or whatever that they had that, that Splunk got, the client got from another piece of their configuration. You know, they went back the same, the right direction again. So it was just in the middle <laughs> when it was, I guess it was trying to append. And, you know, to make a long story short, you know, they, they figured out that Splunk seemed to ignore the default setting from the client side, I guess, from the, where the server was pushing it out. Um, because, and then I think also they had designated a different Splunk home than the normal Splunk, uh, Splunk home, but they didn't use the dollar sign Splunk underscore home, mm. like in all caps, right? That, that right. variable, which I think also, if you look down in the, in, in the, uh, inputs.com or I'm sorry, the deployment, I'm, I'm totally wrong. That deployment client.com. Client. Yeah. That it says, you know, you need to, you need to refer to that. Um, some things you, you do, like it. when you use daytime.xml, you need to say dollar Splunk home slash whatever. Yeah. I mean, we do it sometimes out of convenience, but it really, it needs to, needs to do that. So if your home is in a different location, it'll find it. Now, now the, the other thing that they did to, which I thought was interesting, there's, there's a couple of the parameters in the uh, deployment client, uh, .conf spec. Um, one is called repository location and one is called server repository location policy. So those have default settings as well. Um, the default for the policy, which is basically telling uh, describing how it should be, you know, should it use the, the, the repository location path that's in the 
uh, the class is being sent or should it be from what's sending it, right? So there you can set them. I think the one in the uh, in the parent one, or in this case, I guess I'm calling parent, the search is cl- search uh, serverclass.conf, I guess is what it is from the server side. You would put a target repository repository location there. So you can set it there and then the, the clients will use that as the default because the policy is automatically defaulted to just accept whatever the server's sending, whatever the server has as its setting, just use that. And I guess uh, this particular user must have got into some kind of a pickle where he was customizing one but not the other, and he, or he didn't set the policy to say, uh, guess what Guess what he set it to? Reject always, oh, okay. right? Because we, we have a one that says accept always, reject always, or accept the Splunk home uh, which is whatever the default is there, which that's the default. So, so you can say so always accept or control re- this. Yeah, well. but he had to explicitly set those parameters to ah. control it, to get to say the policy to ignore it, and then to let the deployment uh, deployment client.conf be able to have that um, the proper directory. So he was able to explicitly put it in there and and uh, and get and get the slashes all going the same direction finally, and it installed just fine. But um, but it was just an interesting little thing there, which I guess in could like yours kind of I guess it's a bug. It's probably yeah, I mean, should. It could, I guess in my case, mine probably more of a bug. But this case, there could be an improvement made so that users don't make you know mistakes or. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I at least they give you the options. In my opinion, I think it's kind of cool that you get the options to kind of control it. I think originally we didn't have so much control, and and it was and maybe it was a bug. I just think now maybe the defaults shouldn't. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, I think the defaults are probably fine. It's just anytime you're kind of doing customizations like this, you probably should read through the spec and actually look at all the th- different things and make sure that you're aware. I just think in this case, you may, it may have been more of an education thing. Just, Hey, you know, being aware that you can do these things. Well, and I like that somebody's e- when they're eval, like if they're evaluating Splunk, they're going all the way down in deployment client. I mean, like most people don't do that. They're just like, I want to see if we can eat my stuff and I can print a report. Yeah. <laughs> but if somebody's actually doing the whole process of deployment server during the eval, that's pretty cool. You know, like well, yeah, they yeah. get it. Yeah, I'm thinking that I actually I think this person might have already been a customer, but they were um, they were trying to they were needing to upgrade, and they know they're going to get more data in and stuff, probably to have um, you know that that type of phasing things in. So I think that they probably were in there because they didn't they don't want to I guess take the training or have us mm-hmm. come do it for them. They just which is kind of cool too. You can kind of figure out how to do it all yourself, and I think that's great. Most uh, most products don't let you get that deep into things, so. Um, and I and I like I said I learned something more valuable and figured that you this know, was like an entire show of what did we learn this week, kind of and then uh, what and then also arguing what could be a bug or not a bug so maybe that's a title perhaps, <laughs> right. perhaps. to bug or not to bug yeah all right there you go we figured it out at the end <laughs> so at the end that's how we got the title that we didn't explain in the beginning to bug or not to bug a bug whatever. <laughs> All righty. Cool. I'm not going to remind everybody about user conference because why not? I've been doing why that not? For a while. Um, Come on, you can't get knows. it. By the time they get this, is it already going to be over, or mm-hmm. is it going to be like next? No, week? no, no. <laughs> this will come out. This it'll this will be out. Yeah. If if uh, if you're hearing me and you have not registered for user conference, uh, it could be what's sold your out. Problem? Yeah, <laughs> it could already be sold out. But we're having a user conference in August, and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be there. It's in San Francisco. 
And there's a lot of Splunk happiness going on there, which is kind of cool. So. Well, you know what? You can, then you should to remind them about the Facebook that they should Facebook us. Well, and you're right. Automatically going out. Yeah. I got, you know what like, I'm gonna do? You need to like us. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go. Because that helps people and listeners differentiate between topics. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Very very cool. Um, so, che- so so check this out. What are we talking about? We're talking about Facebook. Oh, Facebook. So what what's on Facebook? We have the Splunk Talk on Facebook. Except we don't have a like we it. don't have a URL yet. Yeah, yeah. We do. You just go no. to Facebook and search for Splunk Talk. Correct. But we need at least twenty five likes. Oh yeah, that's to right. get that's the right. URL because like I don't know, they're probably not going to waste a URL on people. We don't. Stuff we don't like have twenty five yet. We should have twenty five. No, already. yeah, we need f- likes or fans, whatever the hell it's called. But um, <laughs> I'm taking now and posting the podcast to there. So it can be listened to, I think, right from there. Um, so if you're, and we have a and we have a discussion thing too. So if you're a Facebook person, which I am, most people are, um, you know, and you dig it, and you're still listening, go to Facebook and like it, um, and that way we can sort of, you know, kind of get things going. And uh, yeah, we need you to do that so you can like. I mean, if you need to send us an email at splunktalk at splunk.com and tell us that you liked it, we'll send you a T-shirt or something. I mean, just like you should totally. But if take you like it, that's a cool way. Because the other thing is, we don't really know who the listeners of this podcast are unless you email us. So if you decide you like it, that's kind of cool, and maybe we can, you know, I can message you and send you a shirt, or Maverick can come drive to your house, or call your mom <laughs> and tell uh, tell her what a wonderful person you are. If you want a theme song, I can write a theme Never song. Never write a theme song. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Matt Ubel. <laughs> Felix. <laughs> right. right. Then, and then, and that Paolo Pione. Yeah. All righty, everybody. Uh, this is a normal size episode of Splunk Talk. Just focusing on our big, giant, what did we learn this week episode? You, you know what it's you know what it really is? It's just long enough to mow your grass to, if you think about it. I hope right. so. Or water your flowers or so. righty. So um Splunk Talk at Splunk.com. Uh, you know, the Facebook thing also is a good way to put feedback. So you could just comment and ask questions there or discuss stuff there, which is good if you don't feel like sending an email. And the one thing that's nice about Facebook is of course, you know, if y'all start liking it, then y'all can see what questions everyone else is asking. So um, anyways, tell us, what, tell us what we're doing right or wrong and let us know so we can improve it too. play us out Maverick uh, if you want to send an email to splunktalk at splunk.com we will see you and happy Splunky because Splunk is about to take over